Today's sermon is called Hope for the Bruised and Broken. Hope for the Bruised and Broken. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now I would just ask that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. And that, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would be the preacher and that you would speak to your people. And you wouldn't just allow us just to be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The passage that we have here this morning is found in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 through 4. And I'm going to read it again. In verse 1 it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice, and he will not falter or be discouraged. Until he establishes justice on earth, and in his law the islands will put their hope. 750 years before Christ ever showed up on the scene, God revealed to Isaiah what kind of person Jesus was going to be. Now he described him as a servant. In that first verse it says that he is a servant. Jesus talking about himself, in Matthew 20, verse 28, says this. He says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus calls himself there a servant. So Isaiah is right. He's dead on. But not only did God reveal to Isaiah that Jesus Christ would be a servant, but he also revealed to him what kind of people Jesus would come to serve. Now, where do I find that? The description of these people is found in verse 3. Let's look at verse 3 together again. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now, at first glance, it could be very easy to miss the idea that there's people here in this verse. However, as we look at this verse together and see it through the eyes and the minds of the Hebrew people of Isaiah's day... And then we look at the three words that describe the reed and the wick. We're going to discover that God did reveal to Isaiah what kind of people Jesus was coming to serve. Okay? Looking at verse 3, let's break that down. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Those words, bruised reed and smoldering snuffed out wicks, were picture words. In other words, when they would have heard or read those words... Pictures, common pictures, would popped up in their minds. I'll give, give you an illustration before I describe these pictures to us. When I say the word Nike, when I say that word Nike to you, is there an image or picture or something that pops up in your mind? When I just say that word Nike, okay, as I'm saying that, you picture something in your mind, anything that you relate to there. Now, there's no doubt about it, you're thinking of some type of sports apparel, sneakers, clothes, or something like that. But did anybody think of the logo, that little swoosh, when they said, when I said Nike? If you did, could you just raise your hand? Yeah, most of you, if not all of you, are raising your hand. Just as I say that word Nike and you come up with that swoosh, in those days, when they would have read or heard bruised reed, smoldering snuffed out wicks, pictures would have popped into their minds. Here's the first picture. Picture of a bruised reed. In those days, it was common to see young boys out on the fields watching their father's sheep. But watching sheep is boring. 
So they would go down by the Jordan River and they'd cut themselves down a reed and they'd hollow it out and they'd put little holes in it and they'd play it like a flute. They played music as they're watching the sheep. But they had to be careful because if they bruised the reed or broke it, it wouldn't play anymore. So here you have a shepherd boy, he's playing his flute and he bruises the reed, he breaks it. Does he try to save it? Does he try to fix it? Does he try to mend it? No, he takes the bruised reed and he throws it away. And it goes down by the Jordan River where there's tens of thousands of new reeds. He cuts himself down another one, hollows it out, puts little holes in it, and he goes on and plays music. That's the first picture that when they heard those words, the people in the days of Isaiah, that would have popped up in their minds. They would have understood that. The second picture is the picture of a smoldering, snuffed-out wick. In those days, they didn't light light their homes with electricity. They lit their homes with small oil lamps. It was a saucer-like thing, and they put oil in it, and then they took a cotton wick, and they put it on top, and that's how they lit their homes. Have you ever noticed in America, in American homes, that the men have the responsibility to take out the garbage? I don't know why that is, but we have to take out the garbage. Well, in the days of Isaiah, it was the woman's responsibility to make sure that the oil stayed in those lamps, and they lit their homes. So here you have a woman walking into a dark room, And the oil's been used up, and that wick, that cotton wick, is on the bottom of the saucer, and it's smoldering, or it's snuffed out. She doesn't take the wick and try to save it. She doesn't try to reuse it. She takes it, and she throws it away, and she goes into a drawer where she has hundreds of these cotton wicks. She fills that saucer up with oil again, puts the wick on top, and she lights her home. Now, those are the two pictures that would have been in the minds, understanding those pictures, taking the reed and the wicks and throwing them away, Let's look at the three words that describe the reed and the wick. And they are bruised, smoldering, and snuffed out. Let's look, first of all, at bruised. The word bruised literally means falling apart at the seams, discouraged, loss of hope. That's what the word means. Falling apart at the seams, discouraged, and loss of hope. And Isaiah is describing someone here or a person or a people that have been bounced around in the world and they have been deeply wounded. Now, either they've been wounded physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, or even spiritually, or all of the above, but they've been wounded deeply, and they have been treated unfairly. They are a people or a person who has been taken advantage of. They, they are oppressed or marginalized in some way, and now they're discouraged, and they've lost hope, and their lives are falling apart. The first person or group of people that Jesus was coming for are those who are bruised. The second group is found in the word smoldering. That word literally means a flame that is dying, a dying flame. It's where we get our word burnout from in the English, from this word here, a dying flame. Isaiah is describing a group of people in a, in, in a person who is filled, who was once filled with enthusiasm, passion, dreams, and vision ready to take on the world, but now, now they don't have any passion. They don't have any vision. They're weary in well-doing, and they are just going through the motions. They're a life full of promise, but now they're just filling the room with smoke. They're smoldering. They're burned out. So the second group of people that Jesus is coming for are not only those of us who are bruised, but those of us who are burned out. But he not only is coming for that group, but he comes for another group. And that is a group who has blown it. Bruised, burned out, and have blown it. The word snuffed out here is describing a flame 
that failed. Its purpose was to light the home, but it failed. It no longer lights the home. It missed its mark. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We might not be bruised and we might not be burned out, but what we all have in common in this room is we've all blown it. And we all need a Savior. We need to be forgiven. And Jesus here is described as someone who is a servant, who has come for those people. And what Isaiah has, is saying here in this, in this verse to the people of his day and to us today, he's saying Jesus did not come like the world and take the bruised reed and the smoldering snuffed out wicks and throw them away. He didn't come to throw them away, but he came to transform them. He came not to throw you away, but he came not to kick you to the curb or throw you under the bus, but he came to save you, to help you, to bring help, hope, and healing to you. He came to bring healing and restoration to those of us who are bruised. He came to bring help and reignite those of us who are burned out. And he came to bring hope and redemption to those of us who have blown it. Jesus came to bring help, hope, and healing in his name and to restore you, reignite you, and to absolutely bring hope and redemption. That's what Jesus had come to do. And he came again, not to throw you away. In other words, Jesus sees you. You're not invisible to him. He knows all about you. He has every hair on your head accounted for, even those of you that lost some. He has it all. And he knows you, and he didn't come to throw you away, but to transform you. Now, today, there's no, I don't have enough time to talk about all three groups of people, bruised and those of us who are burned out and those of us who have blown it. But as I'm speaking, I'm speaking to you all. And the application is for us all. That Jesus Christ has come to bring help, hope, and healing to you. But I'm going to specifically focus in on those of us who are bruised and broken today. I've been bruised. I've been deeply wounded. Not only just by one person, by a number of different people at different times. And I'm confident in this room that all of you have been bruised in some way. But to today, I'm going to give you my testimony in order to help all of us to understand that Jesus Christ is here to bring healing to you, to your family, to restore those relationships. He's here to let you know that you can be forgiven but also he can give you the desire again and the power and the wisdom and the insight to forgive as well. Those who have hurt you deeply, to forgive and to be forgiven. I grew up in a home that wasn't Christian. Matter of fact, my mother and father were divorced when I was three years old. And my mother remarried, and she remarried a great guy, and he took us, I have two older sisters and a younger brother. He took us all in, and he... He took care of us the best he could. But, you know, he had one major issue. He was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. So we never went to church. For, for me, Jesus was something that you said when you were angry. I had no clue who Christ was until I got to college. And a young lady was very consistent in talking to me about Jesus Christ. And finally, I came to Christ. And I went home and I told my family, and my atheistic father hit the roof. And all of a sudden, this great relationship that I had with him over 22 years, or not 22, you know, 20, 18, 19 years, all of a sudden, 
became strained. But then, two years later, when I came home and told everyone that I was going into ministry full-time, it was like the lid on the popcorn machine came off. I mean, stuff just got crazy. But I went off. I went to seminary. And I went to Alliance Theological Seminary up in Nyack, New York, New York, and I studied. But in the summers, I would come home to my hometown, believe it or not, Ripley, New York. Okay. So anyway, as I was coming home, and I would do these things in the, in the summer, I got an internship at a church. We have interns here. I was one of them. Not at this place, but back home. And at the end of the summer, the last night, I, it, the internship was over, and I went over to the church, and I turned in the keys and said goodbye to everybody. And as I got in my car and driving home for the night, I, I said, man, tomorrow morning, I've got to get up early. I've got to get myself packed. I've got to go back to seminary. Got to drive, you know, eight, ten hours tomorrow. So I'm driving up, thinking these thoughts as I'm driving up to my home and into the driveway. And in the back is my father and a couple of his buddies. They've been playing golf all day and drinking. And they were sit- sitting at a picnic table. So I got out of the car, walked over and said hello to everybody. They said, ah, sit down, Ed. And I sat down. And next thing you know, I, my father is telling these guys everything that I've ever done or ever said to him in confidence. I mean everything I ever said to him in confidence. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed? I don't know why, but I sat there for an hour. Just sat there. And I was the brunt of their jokes as they spilled all this stuff out. And I remember this one guy, he looked at me and he said, Ed, what and why do you think that you could be a pastor? After all that your father just told us, how do you think that you could be a pastor? Now, I understood that those men didn't know Jesus. They didn't understand grace. But what he said to me gave me enough strength to stand up. And I just stood up and I kindly uh, dismissed myself. And I finally walked away from that situation. As I walking away into the house, oh, they had a good time with me at my expense, laughing and having a good time as I was walking away. But as I walked into the home, there's my mother and my sister, tears rolling down their cheeks. And my mother looked at me and said, Ed, please forgive your father and forgive us for not having the courage to go out and stand up for you and with you. I looked at my mom and I said, don't worry about it. It's okay. And I walked into the living room and I sat down on a couch and I began to pray. And as I prayed, my blood began to boil. And I prayed, and I started saying, oh, God, take this anger now before it turns into hatred. Please take it from me and put in its place a love and compassion and forgiveness for my father. And as I prayed, the more angrier I got. My blood began to boil, and I started having these thoughts. Wait a minute. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't deserve this. He's wrong. And I said, I I need to claim my rights. I can't let anybody step over me like that. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to put him in his place. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm having this wrestle match with myself and with Jesus. And then finally, this thought came to my mind. And I was innocent too. I didn't do anything wrong. And I went to the cross for you. Forgive him like I've forgiven you. And I said to Jesus, I can't. I can't do it. And he said, you're right. You can't, but I can. And then he proceeded to talk to me from the word and in my mind as I prayed. 
And now I went from the couch to my knees, actually laid myself out on the floor, and I said, God, I can. He said, you're right, I can. He said, turn that over. Stop trusting in yourself and transfer your trust from yourself to me and surrender. Pick up your cross and follow me, Ed, and turn this over to me, and I will take it from you, and I'll take the anger and this hatred, and I will put in, in its place my love and my compassion for you and your father. That's what I'm going to do for you. But you've got, and as I'm praying this prayer, this verse comes to my mind. What you sow, you what? What you sow, you what? You reap. And I started thinking to myself, wow, when you sow tomato seeds, you get tomatoes. If you sow hatred, you get, if you sow forgiveness, you get forgiveness. If you sow love, you get love. And the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. And I said, God, that's what I want. Oh, God, I want to sow forgiveness and love. Help me, please. You know another thing that the Lord shared with me in that moment? He said, Ed, it's not just about your relationship with me and your relationship with your father. It's all about your children's children. We all know that in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it speaks of generational sin. Talking about sins passed from one child to the next child to the next family and the next family. And as I was praying, it was like, see, if you sow what is right right now, if you reap, you will reap love and forgiveness. But if you sow hatred and anger, it just doesn't impact your relationship with me and with him, but it will impact your children and your children's children, Ed. You know, I've been in ministry almost 30 years, and absolutely that's true. I have found when people hurt me, it's because somebody's hurt them. And they're trying to pass their pain from themselves to me. And I've got to make a decision. Am I going to allow that from that generation to this person to me to pass from me to my kids? Listen, if Jesus Christ didn't absorb all of our sin, we'd all be lost. Jesus went to the cross and died, and he set us, what? Free. He delivered us from our destiny, and our destiny was hell-bound. But he changed that situation because he took our sin upon that cross and died, and everything changed for our direction. And God said, Ed, it's your decision. But your children and your children's children is waiting for your decision. Are you going to do it my way or your way? And I said, God, I want it your way. And I know in that moment, thoughts came to my mind. It was unbelievable. It was like I started thinking about my father with tremendous compassion. I can't explain it. I'm telling you the truth. It was like I could love him again. It was unbelievable. I started thinking about him as a person who was lost, which he was. Before I could only see him as my father who betrayed me, but now I saw him as somebody who was lost, like I was lost. He, didn't, he wasn't owned by God. He was owned by the enemy. And I started thinking to myself, how can I expect anything from him but what he's done? He's lost. You don't clean a fish until you catch it. He needed to be found by Jesus Christ. He needed to come to know Jesus. And I started praying for his soul, that he would come to Jesus like I came to Christ. And then I started saying this, I do not want my rights anymore, Father. I want to be a follower of you. I claim my responsibility and my witness, and I want to live and talk and speak to my Father so that he has an opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ. Help me to love him and have compassion towards my Father. You know what? As I prayed, it was like God's love and peace and compassion 
came over me and I knew I broke through. And I got up and I went to bed. It was probably 5.30 in the morning. I prayed all night long. I slept a few hours, got up, packed my bags, threw them in the car. And there standing in the driveway was my mother, my brother, my sister, and my dad. And I said goodbye to them and then I walked over to my father and I hugged him and I told him that I loved him. And he stood there cold as ice. Never said a word to me. Stone cold. I got in my car, drove away, went back to the seminary. My father never talked to me. It was now Thanksgiving. Decided to drive home in the middle of the night to get home for Thanksgiving. Everybody's in bed. I get to the home. I go up and I get into my bedroom and I'm sleeping. Next morning, I hear a knock on the door and it's my father. First words out of his mouth since the summer. And this is what he said. Ed, would you like to go Christmas shopping? Now, you've got to understand, tradition in our home was to go Christmas shopping and Thanksgiving. So I said, sure, Dad, let's go. Got my clothes on, got in the car, we were driving down to the mall, and my father looked at me and said, Ed, i got something to say to you. I said, what's that? He said, I believe in God. I said, what? And he said, yeah, I believe in God. My atheistic father is telling me that he believes in God. And I literally asked this question, why? Crazy. I said, why? And he said this. He said, you know what I did to you this past summer. You know what I was doing? I was trying to provoke you. I was trying to find the old Ed Glover because the old Ed Glover would have jumped up over that picnic table and tried to hurt me, would have tried to shut me up. But instead of jumping over a picnic table, you put your arms around me and you tell me that you love me. The only way that could happen is if there's a God. And this God changed you. And I looked at him and I said, Dad, But he not only can change me, but Jesus Christ can change you and me. He said, hey, I'm just talking to you about God right now, man. Leave Jesus out of this. I said, okay. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Thanksgiving was spectacular. Christmas was awesome. I finally went back to the seminary. It was in January. At the end of January, I get a phone call from my sister. And my dad had a stroke. And she said, Ed, they don't know if he's going to live. But all he does is he just keeps saying your name. Where's Ed? Where's Ed? You've got to get home as quick as you can. I said, I'll get home as fast as I can, Debbie. I hung the phone up, and there was a chair right there by the phone. Back in those days, we didn't have cell phones, right? So we're in the hallway, and nobody around. I sit down in the chair. Hear me. Peace fell over me. It was unbelievable. When they always talk about the peace that passes all understanding, it was there. Jesus was right there with me. Unbelievable peace. Then I started thinking back when I was sitting on that couch back in the summer. How I wanted to claim my rights. But then finally, by God's grace, I didn't claim my rights, but I began to look to my responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ and a witness, and I started doing it God's way rather than my own. And I said, that's why I've got this peace. But then I started thinking, wonder if I would have done it my way. Wonder if I would have claimed my rights, retaliated, Got angry, went out there and popped him one time or something like, hated my dad, allowed anger to go. What would be going on right now when I got this phone call? And I'll tell you what would have went on. Satan would like all of my activity, would have taken that, my, my activity, my words, like a stick and he would have beat me with it. He would have said things like this. Ed, you're in the ministry, you're going to be a pastor and you hate your father. You're angry with him. And matter of fact, he could die and when he dies, he's going to go to hell because of your actions. You had the opportunity to show him and talk to him about Jesus Christ and love him in that situation, but you failed. And and I would have been laid out with guilt, fear, but 
no way. There's no stick. It was out of his hands. And I had peace. I got on that plane, man, and I flew home. And I walked into that hospital room, and there's my father with all these wires connected to his body. He sees me, and he calls me over with his head like this. I walk over, and he lifts his arm up. He grabs me by the shirt, and he pulls me up. I mean, face to face like this, and he says, Ed, I love you. I love you, Ed. And I said to my father, oh, I love you. And so does Jesus Christ. He loves you, Dad. He loves you. From that day on until the day my father passed into the presence of God, over 10 years, every day I saw him and every day that I talked to him on the phone, we told each other that we loved one another. Always. Before that time, we never, my father never told us kids or me that he loved us. And I asked him one day, how come he never did that? He said, because his father never told him. You see it? One generation to another generation, and all of a sudden it was broken. You're in this room today. You're not, definitely not here by chance. God brought you here this morning. Some of you struggled to come here, but you're here. Jesus is in this room, and he will not throw you away. He wants to transform you. And he can restore those relationships. He can bring help and hope and healing to you. But you're going to have to sow and reap. And some of us need to ask God to forgive us. And some of us need to go to people that we've hurt and ask them to forgive us. And I believe all of us in this room need to forgive someone. I don't know who it is. And, and I know some of you would say to me, what they've done to me is much deeper wounds than what you talked about, Ed. And I understand that. But there's no greater, deeper wound than Jesus Christ and what he's done for all of us. Hear me. He wants to set you free and your family and your, child, your children's children. He wants that. Now the question is, <clears throat> what do you want? Could you just bow your heads with me? Lord, there are people that have hurt us. And Lord, I'm asking today, we sung about you being a healer. I'm asking you to heal them. But I know it's a decision that they've got to make. And they've got to, they've got to want it. So Lord, I pray in these moments that we're just quiet before you that they'll just be honest and talk to you and bring that relationship, that thing that was said or those people before you and that you would help them in this moment break through. But Father, I also know that you could do that in this room today. But if they're really deep wounds, that they're gonna most likely have to go home and pray more deeply with you, get alone with you and allow you to do this work in their life. I pray for their sake the sake of your church and the sake of their children and their grandchildren, that they will break this generational sin, that they would not take anger and hatred and unforgiveness into the next generation, that they would break through today, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen.